Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Do me a favor. Would you pick a neighbor? The one whom you love. Come on, pick them. I'm watching. And this time, I'm not going to tell you to ignore them. You stick with them. You love them, all right? And I want to tell you something. There are, there are two things in this life that you cannot control. Hear me when I say this. The weather, we live in Canada. We know that's true. Can't control the weather. And that person that you have an arm on their shoulder, you can't control them either. And if it's your spouse, you know that's true, right? Have a seat. We're going to get in the Word of God. We can't control circumstances, that's true, so many of them, but we can control our response. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight. I want to get transparent with you. You know, sometimes us pastors get up here and we talk about how we all got it figured out and how strong our faith is and you should be like us. I want to get a little vulnerable with you tonight. I wish that my response to every trial and tribulation was, great are you, Lord. I wish. It should be. That's the biblical response. But I tell you, man, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I get in this kind of mode or maybe mood, mode, it's more of a mode, of just being annoyed. Is there anyone here who ever just gets annoyed? Like, just just be honest with me. I'm not talking about, like, it's 10 a.m. and you haven't had your coffee yet. I mean, like, you are annoyed. And, like, Someone could tell you that it's a beautiful day, and you're like, ah, whatever, not really. You're just, you're just annoyed. Like, you, you know, it's like one thing goes wrong, and then the next thing goes wrong, and there's another thing going wrong, and you just get stuck in this, this mood of being annoyed. Anyone ever been there before, honest enough to say that, that you, you've been annoyed? Okay, that sucks. It's terrible when that happens. Let me tell you what's even worse than being annoyed. You ready? Being really annoyed and being, being in that mood and really in that feel and being stuck with someone who is so happy. You know, you know who you people are. The proverbial glass half full people. You are so annoying, honestly. You know, and I mean, some of you, because you're Christians, you take it to another level and you even do the, God's going to work it out. God's got a plan. I know, don't tell me that, I'm annoyed. I've read my Bible, I know. See, I'm in the first category, um, and I shouldn't be. I should be in the other. But that person I'm talking about is not a hypothetical person. That is my wife. She's the most happy, joyful person. Why are you clapping for that? It's annoying. It's very annoying. When you're just, you know, you're annoyed. So let me tell you a quick little story, and then we'll get in the Word of God. Um, believe it or not, I, I really like motorcycles, and I ride motorcycles. And some motorcycle people in the house, yeah, a couple of y'all. That's right, Jordan, my guy right there, he's got a few. 
Um, and I had a motorcycle about 10 years ago that I particularly really loved. And this is when I was in Bible college down in Southern Virginia, Liberty University, before I went to law school. And um, I love this motorcycle. It was a red Triumph Daytona 675 sport bike. If you know anything about that, you know what that is. They don't make them anymore. They're beautiful bikes. In fact, I know you wouldn't believe me, so I put a picture up on the screen here to show you. That's me on the bike right there. I got a helmet on, so I know you can't verify that it's me, but let me just point out a couple things to you. Um, I was a rebellious Bible college kid, which is why I was wearing a golf shirt and Sperry's. That's called Baptist Rebellion right there. That's about as rebellious as you get when you're in Bible college. And I love this motorcycle so much, man. It was the most expensive thing I owned by a mile. You know, I was young. I loved this thing so much. I still love it to today, to this day. And, and the real reason why I love it is I think it had a little part to play in getting me that joyful woman that I was complaining about a minute ago, my wife. Y'all, listen to this. I invited her for our first date to sit on that little thing. You see it? It's like four inches by four inches, that seat. And I said, hey, you know, would you like to go on a ride with me on my motorcycle up to the Blue Ridge Parkway? It's about an hour away in the middle of nowhere. You know, we won't see anyone for hours. It's totally quiet. And this crazy woman said yes. Ladies, young ladies in the room, if, if a guy wants to take you on a motorcycle hours out into the forest, please say no that you don't know it's a first date. That is a weird first date. Please say no to that. She said yes. I don't know why, but I'm thankful. And you know, we, that was our first date and now we got a baby and we've been married nine years. So just look at that. So I love this thing. You can take it off the screen now. I love that bike so much. And then something happened that got me really, really annoyed. I woke up one morning. It was in the winter in Lynchburg, Virginia. It's as bad as the name sounds, yes, uh, to live there. And I was in a, some Lynchburg people up here, they're laughing. I was in this cheap apartment that we rented. You know you could get a one-bedroom apartment for like $400 in Lynchburg, Virginia? Here it's like, what, two grand for a basement apartment now? It's crazy down there. Anyways, sidebar, I wake up in the morning and I go down to check on my motorcycle like I would every morning. You know, give it a little rub, make sure it's clean, you know, make sure she's okay. And um, it's not there. It's, it's gone. So I pick up my phone and I call my stinking no good roommate. And I'm like, bro, did you take my bike again, man, without talking to me? And he says, no, man, I didn't, I didn't touch it. I didn't, I didn't take it. What are you talking about? Stop accusing me. Why are you coming at me like that? I'm like, okay. So I start looking around and I can't find it anywhere. And what I end up ultimately discovering is that it was stolen. Middle of the night, someone came. I found out later it was like 3 a.m. Someone came with a pickup truck. A few guys just picked this thing up. It's only like 400 pounds. Threw it in the back of a pickup truck and stole it. I was aggravated. I was annoyed. I was frustrated. I was so mad. And here's the worst part. I was a broke college kid. This was in the winter when I wasn't riding it. So guess what? I had no insurance on it. Oh, he's right. Gone. 10 grand out. Boom. Gone. No insurance. Honestly, when a motorcycle gets stolen, you never get it back. They're so easy to get rid of, to part out. It's not like a car. It's so much easier to steal than a car. And I was just in a bad place. I was so frustrated. I was so annoyed. And yet this positive Nancy, I don't know, negative Nancy, positive Polly over here, my wife, Lindsay, don't worry, babe. It's the police are going to find it. 
police are going to find it. It's in a shipping container on the way to Dubai by now. What are you talking about? They're never going to find it. Don't come at me with that positivity. You know, like she's coming at me with this stuff, and I'm like, don't, don't do that. I was aggravated for three full days. For three days, I was just mad, miserable. You didn't want to be around me. I was so mad at the circumstance. You know, this was the most expensive thing I owned, and it was just gone. And I was so frustrated and so mad. But then the most incredible thing happened. I got a phone call from the sheriff's office. They have sheriffs down there. It's like the Wild West. And, and, and he calls me. He says, Ryan, we think we found your motorcycle. And I'm like, oh, Lindsay is just going to, she's going to flip. She's, I told you so. Um, she, we think we found it. And they said, well, tonight we're setting up a sting operation, like it's Hawaii Five O or something. And, and you know, the, the people who stole it, they tried to sell it to a guy who already had two priors. And, you know, he didn't want to go to jail for a long time. So he told us about it. So he's gonna, they're going to sell it to him tonight. And then we're going to roll up on him and arrest him. That's what happened. And they caught these guys, arrested them. They got my motorcycle back and called me the next day. Hey, come pick up your bike. I'm like, well, are you kidding me? This is amazing. This is like the best thing ever. It's exactly like Lindsay said it was going to happen. That's even more annoying, but I'm happy because I got my bike. And, you know, let's not give her too much credit because it wasn't her motorcycle. It was stolen, okay? It was mine. Anyways, you can tell I'm still a little. I'm happy that I got it back. And that was such a blessing, not just because of my carnal desires to have a motorcycle. Let me tell you. When we got married, I made a decision to sell that motorcycle. We had no money, and I used that money as the down payment for our condo. And we were able to buy a condo before condos were crazy money. This is like nine years ago. And then that condo appreciated in value, and we were able to sell it, and then we were able to buy our house, where we now have our little baby. All of that would not have happened if I didn't get that motorcycle back. Because that was the money that I used, that we used, the seed money for those investments. I was so aggravated. I was so annoyed. You know, I don't think I even prayed to God to bring the bike back. Like, that's how annoyed I got at the circumstance that I, it was out of the realm of possibilities that I might get it back. But see, she had this joy that I didn't understand. This happiness, even when bad things like that happen. And, and she always does, honestly, still to today, in the, even in the worst times. And, and today it gets even worse because now she's a pastor. She got ordained a couple weeks ago. Give it up for her, Pastor Lindsay. It gets even worse because now she's not just encouraging. She's encouraging with the word of God. And she's like, but you know all things work together for those who love God and who are called according to words. I know, you know. And she, she's coming at me all the time like this. It's, it's aggravating. She's, she's, really, she's really a positive person, and, and she quotes the word of God all the time. I mean, look, even when she was pushing a baby— our son, Maverick, in the room, this is TMI, by the way. She was playing a worship playlist while doing that in the room. The doctor walks in, he's like, well, this is a first. Um, I think Maverick was born to firm foundation, believe it or not. Born, I said born to firm foundation, nothing else. Um, anyways, you get my point. She's a real happy, joyful person who's just always happy, and that is so annoying. But there's something that I could learn from that. That's a whole different way to live life than living life annoyed and living life aggravated. And, 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 I, and what I learned from her in my years, 12 years now being together, is that joy is one of the most valuable commodities traded today. You can have a billion dollars. You can have a successful company. You can have the best title. You can have a million followers. But if you don't have joy, all of that means nothing. 
And there are a lot of people who have all of that, but are still lacking joy. And the crazy thing about it, so that's what I want to talk to you about today, is this concept of joy, real joy, and how we get it, how we keep it. Because the crazy thing about 2023 is we have more than we've ever had before, but we're seemingly less content than we ever have been before. And that's not logical. If you're an analytical, logical person that should put up some red flags, like how can that be? You know, we have air conditioning, we have heating, we have cars, we have technology, we have communication, we have cell phones, we have good standards of living here in Canada. Like why are we not content? Why are we not happy? Why can we not seem to hold on to joy? I looked this up a little bit and there's this thing called the World Happiness Index. And what's interesting, it's not just a Canadian problem. Around the world from 2012, to 2022, so the past 10 years, happiness, joy, has been on a steady decline across the world, which is, which is incredible, regardless of all our progress and all of our wealth. And if you read and believe the Bible, you'll know that that is a problem. Because there's this book called Proverbs that is full of wisdom, and it says this about joy in Proverbs chapter 17. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. See, the Bible tells us time and time again the importance of joy. It lets us know that one of the keys to life is joy. And, and when you're a joyful person, man, people just want to be around you. People love being around Lindsay because she's happy, because she's joyful. She speaks joy into them. She, she's not aggravated like her husband is most of the time. She's a joyful person. It is one of the keys to life, and it's even good for your health. Like Proverbs said, it's good medicine. Medicine has proved that it lowers your blood pressure. It releases muscle tension, you know, decreases stress hormones. It, it does all these anatomic, anatomic, anatom how do you say it? anatomical? Any nurses in here? Don't correct me. Anatomical things to your body that are remarkable. It even boosts the immune system. It's this thing that everybody wants, joy contentment, peace, happiness, but it always just seems to slip away. You know, you can get it for a little bit. For a season, you might be joyful, you might be happy, but then it just seems to slip away. It, it's what can be attained only for a breath, it seems like. Never really possess. Like, you can't just really have it and keep on to joy. C.S. Lewis believed this, and he talked about it, and he had a quote that was pretty deep. He said, it's the unsatisfied desire which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. To translate that into layman's terms, he's saying it's this slippery paradox. It's this thing that, that we all want more than anything else, but nothing seems to give it to us. Lasting joy, lasting peace. And I think today, what you do and what I do in our attempt to chase joy, that, that's the thing I wanna talk about tonight. I think we fall into this trap of believing that joy is just over yonder. That joy is just over yonder. That contentment and peace is in the next, fill in your blank, the next career, the next job, maybe the next wife, the next husband, this one didn't work out, maybe the next one is where there will be peace, contentment, joy, people with exes are laughing, didn't plan for that. But for real, I mean, we fall into this trap of, of believing that contentment will happen when we get to the next spot where we just got to get to. And my friends, that is so dangerous because what happens is you achieve the next 
and you achieve the next and you keep marching towards all those things that you think will give you joy and what are you left with? Thirst, feeling dry, feeling unfulfilled. Like where is that joy? How come I can't find it? The word of the Lord for you today, please hear me when I say this, is that contentment no longer needs to be just over yon. Contentment and joy no longer needs to be in the next season of your life. Contentment and joy is available to you right here, right now, because of a man named Jesus Christ. You believe that? You believe that? Come on. It's available to you now. It's not always in the next season. But if we want to understand that, and if we want to achieve that, we've got to understand what the Bible teaches about joy. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. The word in the Bible for joy, the Greek word is kara. Kara, not Zdeno Chara, the hockey player. I thought it spelled the same. Leaf fans don't like that name. Anyways, kara, the, the name is kara, and, and it comes from the Greek root word of charis, which means grace or gift. It means grace or gift. And if you understand this, it leads you to the conclusion that joy is not something that we attain on our own. Joy is a gift from God. It's a gift from above. But we certainly try. And we keep trying to attain it on our own. And in fact, if you go to Indigo or Chapters tomorrow morning, you will see about 800 books that will talk about how to get happy, how to find fulfillment, how to have joy in your life, the pursuit of happiness. You'll find all these things. Guys, let me just tell you, if one of those books worked, there wouldn't be another 799 of them. It's just logic. It's just logic. But we try as humans we constantly are trying to find things that will make us happy and make us joyful. But guys, I am so tired of things like that. Seven steps to happiness. Better rhythms and routines in your life. And I'm not saying those things are bad. We, we got to have them. But truthfully, what I want to tell you tonight, really truthfully, is that, hear me when I say this in love, you have no hope of finding a lasting joy or peace on your own. You have no hope of it. None of us do. A lasting joy, a lasting hope, a lasting peace only comes from one source, and that's Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. It's the only place where you're going to find it. And we spend so much of our life trying to find it on our own. So the question that we got to address tonight is if you believe that like you just clapped for, how do you access it? If that's the truth, if it only comes from him, how do we access it? How do we pull from that well? Because if you're anything like me, I am tired of pulling from my own well. Sometimes I pull up water, and it feels good, and I have joy. Sometimes I pull up nothing, and I'm in a dry season for months. I'm tired of living life that way. I want to pull from the well that never runs dry. And there is a well that never runs dry. You ever heard of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well? John chapter 4, you heard about her? I'm not going to read you the whole story, but it's a remarkable story. Because one, she's a woman. Two, she's a Samaritan. And this is a racist, misogynistic age where men should not be talking to women and Jews most certainly should not be talking to, to Samaritans. And, and Jesus does this incredible thing. He sees her at the well. He gets away from his disciples who would judge this action. And he goes and talks to her. That in and of itself tells you so much about Jesus Christ and the love that he has for people. Sometimes you got to go against what culture says, y'all. 
Sometimes you got to do the thing that is unpopular in your day, even if you might get canceled for it, because it's what the Word of God says to do. Anyone believe that? That's what Christ did. And look, let me tell you this. This is some hard preaching, but you follow Christ long enough, they will do to you what they did to him. So it should be a surprise when that happens, but he goes against everything culture says. He does the politically incorrect thing in that day, and he goes and he talks to this woman, and he meets her right where she is at. And where she's at is interesting, because if you read John chapter 4, you'll find out that she has had five husbands. That's, that's an accomplishment. I mean, you know, one or two things happen. Five husbands. And then he says to her, and not just that, you're with a sixth man living with him, and he's not even your husband. And she's like, how? How do you know these things? And then he says something to her that is remarkable, and it's the only verse I'll give you from John chapter 4, verse 13, and then into 14. It's going to come up on the screen. He says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. What's this water that he's talking about? He's talking about from the wells of life, from the things that you go to to find joy, peace, and contentment. See, she was looking for it in a man. That's what society taught women in that time. The only way you'll be happy is to find a good man. Number one, strike. Number two, strike. She's on number five. She's now working on number six. She's pulling from the wells of this life, and Christ says what's going to happen. If you keep doing that, you will be thirsty again. The honeymoon might be okay, but eventually you will thirst again. Y'all, even today, you can marry the very best spouse. I have the best spouse. I cannot find my fulfillment in her. You cannot find your fulfillment in your spouse. There is only one well that never runs dry. Verse 14, he says that to her. He says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. What he's telling us, guys, is that we need to let him be our source of joy to stop pulling from all of these wells of society, hoping that they will give us a lasting joy and a lasting peace. And the most amazing thing about this story, that's a lot of wisdom from Jesus Christ. The most amazing thing, though, is that he met her right where she was at and told her that. He told her that this well is available to you right here. He didn't say, oh, but first you got to go marry her, marry him, and you got to get right, and then you got to go to the temple, and then you got to go to this. He says, drink from this water, and you will never thirst again. He meets her right where she is at. Y'all, what you need to know is that joy and peace and contentment, regardless of your situation, is available to you right now, right where you are at. Do you believe that tonight? All the way in the back, you believe that tonight? It's available to you. Not later when you get it all together. Don't wait for that. You'll be waiting 40 years like the Israelites did. It's available to you now. What if, guys, right beneath the place that you are standing, physically but not just physically, metaphorically, what if there was water, a wellspring of life that could be flowing up from you? What if that was available right now and that you didn't need to thirst anymore? What if that was available? Do you know, let me tell you something about wells. I'm not a contractor, but I did a little research. Do you know that on, in Ontario, you can dig a well anywhere? I mean, pretty much almost anywhere and hit water. You don't believe me? Let me, let me show you a couple images that I found. I did my research because I know you all fact check on your Google. Look at that. That is all the public wells in the greater Toronto area. They're everywhere. They, they are all over. And 
the places where you don't see wells is just because very few people live there and they haven't dug them yet. You can dig a well almost anywhere and find water. There's another interesting image I found coming up on the screen of Toronto, the city. Do you see all those crazy lines? Those are all rivers that are underground. Those are streams and rivers that have been buried or are still buried underground. This dates all the way back to 1802. You can't see it all the way up to today. There are rivers everywhere underneath you right now where you sit. You could dig if you would put in the work and you could find water. You could eventually find a wellspring of life. But I did some more research. I found that it's not easy. Anyone know the distance you got to dig a well in Ontario? Some might say 10 feet, 50 feet. No, man. It's 160 to 200 feet on average that you have to dig before you hit what they call groundwater and where you can pull water up from a source. That is a lot of work. So what I want you to see is that it's available to you anywhere, wherever you are, but you've got to dig down deep for it. See, the same way that water is right where you are, even though you don't see it, you don't see water below you right now, but it's there. I just proved it to you on the screen is the same way that joy is available to you right where you are. But it's not automatic. And I think us in the church, we hear it so much that we start to think that if we're a Christian, joy should just be automatic. It's a fruit of the Spirit, which it is. So shouldn't we just have it? Shouldn't we be joyful all the time? And then when we're not, and we get annoyed and aggravated like I do, we get even more frustrated because I'm a Christian. I should have the joy of the Lord. What is going on? What is going on right now? Guys, what I want to tell you, though, is that it is there. It is available. You don't need to get to the next season to find it. Contentment is not in a new city. It's not in a new marriage. It's not in a new house. It's not in a new boo. It's not even, you don't even need to find a new you to be content. It's available right here, right now. Contentment and joy is available right now. If you will access it, you just got to do some digging you got to get down in the dirt and do some digging. So the last question that you should be asking, that's great, Pastor, how? How do I dig? How do I find it? You're telling me it's available. I believe you, but how do I access it? How do I get it? How do I dig for that lasting joy and experience that in my life? I want to show you how because the Lord has been working on me. I told you I got a problem in this area. He has been working on me in my own life. And it looks so simple, but it's not. So let me show you, I believe, the key to digging down right where you are and finding joy is found in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. It's not going to come up on the screen just yet, but you know it when I say it. Verse 10 ends in this. It ends in the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You've seen it on your grandma's kitchen, you know? Up above the sink, you've seen it on Pinterest, you've seen it everywhere. Is that still a thing people have Pinterest anymore? I don't know. You've seen it everywhere. And you might say to me, okay, great, pastor, that's really deep. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Cool, glad I came to the river and got that. But you need to know some context around this verse, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, which I'm going to read you in a moment. This verse has a lot of context. Because if you know anything about the Jewish people, the Jewish people went through a lot of trial and a lot of hardship. And Nehemiah was the one to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls. And this happens in a time in history 
where the, after the Babylonians have come in to Israel, they've come into Jerusalem, they've demolished the city, they've burnt down the temple, and they've taken the Jewish people as slaves into captivity. And 50 years lapses, 50 years go, goes by, and then a miracle happens. A select few Jews are allowed, under the sponsorship of a Persian king, to go back to Jerusalem. And one of them is Nehemiah. Another is Zerubbabel. If you're having a kid anytime soon, I'm pretty sure that name is available. Zerubbabel for a boy. Zerubbabel does something amazing. He rebuilds the temple. Nehemiah does something amazing. He rebuilds the city. He becomes a governor. He rebuilds the walls. And then there's another man named Ezra. Ezra is the high priest, and Ezra starts rebuilding the hearts of the people, which is the real work, because rebuilding a heart is a lot more difficult than rebuilding a wall, than even rebuilding a temple. And, and this is the context of where they're at. They're now back in Jerusalem. The temple is built. The walls are being built. They're coming back up. And Ezra gathers all the people, and he reads to them the book of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And he reads it to them. They all gather in one place, and they hear the word of God for the first time in 50 years. A whole generation has passed where they have not heard the word of God. And what happens? These people, these Jews hit their knees, and they start weeping and they start crying in sorrow because they now realize that they have been living in a way that is opposite of the word of God. And they, they see the error of their ways, and they're struggling with this, and they're weeping. And then comes verse 10, Nehemiah chapter 8. And Nehemiah the governor, he says something to them. And Ezra, the author of the book, writes it this way. says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is what he says to them, and I want you to really listen and really hear it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I always read this verse wrong. I thought what it meant was this. When I don't have joy, when I'm annoyed, when I'm aggravated, all I got to do is reach up and pull down some joy from the Lord, and I will find strength. Guess what? I'm still annoyed, I'm still aggravated, and I still don't seem to have the joy of the Lord. What is wrong with me? And I really was praying to the Lord and going, God, what, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong here? But guys, I don't think that is a fair reading of Ezra's words, the author of Nehemiah. I don't think that's exactly what he meant. And, and also, I'm not even sure that that works. Like, how do we just pull something down from God? Like, let's get practical here at the river. I'm not preaching blasphemy, but let's get practical. How do we just pull something down from God when we're annoyed and we're aggravated? I'm not sure that it even works. Take it from me. I'm the one who gets annoyed. But see, what God has been revealing to me and what I believe the word of the Lord is for you today is this epiphany that he gave me. This so simple, but actually so difficult and so hard. See, when we read that verse, we have a tendency to read it from the perspective of what can we get out of it? How can it benefit us? How, what, what can we get out of that? But what if we weren't supposed to read it through the perspective of what we can get, but instead read it from the perspective of what we can give? What if we were to read it that way? You read it that way, and here's what I think it really means. The joy of the Lord 
his joy, when you make him happy, when you bring him joy, now becomes your strength. Not that it's something that you just download and bring to you his joy into your life. No, 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 no. It's that when you make him happy, think of the context. The people had just rebuilt God's city. They had rebuilt God's walls. They had rebuilt God's temple. And they read his word and turned and repented from their ways. He was happy. God was happy. And he said, this day is holy. The joy of the Lord will now be your strength. And it was. What I'm trying to tell you, what I'm trying to get you to see is what I saw. That it's not a one-way street. It's not about us. We love to read things like they're about us. Like we're the main character in the Bible. We're not. It's a two-way street that when we give him joy, we then receive his strength. You see it? It's simple. The gospel is simple, but the application of the gospel is hard. Because when you're sad, when you're down, you look for things that will make you happy. That's not how you'll get happy. The way you'll find joy and contentment is when you obey him, when you're faithful to him, when you give him joy, when you make him happy, then he will give you strength. And in that position of strength, then you can find lasting joy. Because when we are strong, that, my friends, is when we truly find joy. That's when we find joy. So how do you bring him joy? How do you make him happy? Matthew chapter 25, I think, puts it so beautifully. It's the parable of the talents. We preached a whole sermon on it here a couple seasons ago. Who knows the parable of the talents? Put your hand up if you know the parable of the talents. Most of you, that's what I thought. Verse 20, it's going to come up on the screen. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents to the Lord. The servant who was blessed with five came back with ten to the Lord. And the saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. Next verse. His Lord said to him, you ready? Well done, good and faithful servant. That made him happy. That made the Lord happy that the servant was faithful with what he blessed him with. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. I will make you strong. I will give you strength. And then guess what happens next? Enter into the joy of your Lord. That, my friends, is how we enter into the joy of the Lord. We are faithful to him. We are faithful to his commandments. We are faithful to his word. This is hard stuff. This is a two-way street. It's so much easier just to say, the joy of the Lord is my strength and I'm going to get it. But it's not that simple. It's not automatic. It's a two-way street. So, my friends, the answer of grabbing a hold of joy, of, of getting joy, the answer to that C.S. Lewis slippery paradox that we talked about at the beginning is not trying to bring joy to yourself. It's not taking it down from God. It's bringing joy to your creator. It's being faithful to him. And how incredible is it to think that you and me, us lowly people, we can make the creator of the universe happy. That we can warm his heart. That we can make him smile. That's how much he loves you. And that's how much he loves me. Would you stand back to your feet? Because we're not done yet tonight.
We're going to get back to worship here in a moment. But what I really, really hope you're seeing tonight and what I really believe the word of the Lord for you tonight is stop trying to be your own joy. Stop trying to be your own joy. Jonathan, you can play those keys. Stop trying to make your own joy. You never will. It will never come from your own performance, your own doing, your own title, your own success, not in a lasting way. It never will happen. We are so focused in this life on what we can do, what we should do to be happy, what career, what relationship, what job. You know, I used to meet people and ask that question. What do you do? What do you want to do? You know what a better question is to ask people than what do you do? You know what a better question to ask yourself is than what do I do, what should I do? It's this. Who do I serve? Not what do I do, but who do you serve? That's what really matters. Not what you do, but who you serve. Because my friends, the what, the focus on the what we should do and the what we can do to be happy, that results in thirst. That's a well that runs dry, but the who focuses in on the who, the well that never runs dry, that is a well that runs deep and runs wide and can never be dammed up or blocked by any attack of the devil or any other person in this life. That is it. The what is self-help. The what leads to constant anxiety. Man, sometimes I deal with that with anxiety. We deal with anxiety today like never before. Anxiety is self-focused. Hear me when I say this. This is, this is for the heart of love. I'm not telling you that your anxiety is selfish because that would be callous and that would be cold and that's not what the Lord says. But anxiety is self-focused. It's focusing on you and how you're going to make it, on how you're going to do it, on how you're going to get through. What it is is putting much more weight on your shoulders than you were ever meant to carry. This life was not meant to be done on your own. It never was. And to be honest, if you were doing it on your own, you should be a whole lot anxious than you are now. And so should I. But you don't have to do it on your own. You have a creator and a savior who loves you and will never abandon you and never leave you, forsake you, nor abandon you. Do you know that tonight? I hope you do. Because it's just the truth. Joy, my friends, is not just over yonder. That's a terrible acronym. Joy is not there. Contentment is not in your next job. Contentment is in pleasing your Savior, in being faithful to Him. Joy is not just over yonder. It's just over you. It's just over you. It's not actually about you. It's not about me, it's about him. You bring your Lord joy and he will bless you with strength. And when you have strength, you will have peace and contentment. You will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. So the question tonight is, can you trust in God enough to give up your pursuit of your own happiness, to give up your pursuit of finding joy 
in your hobbies, in your relationships, and everything else. I'm not saying those things are bad, but to find joy from him, to make him happy, to give him joy. Because that, my friends, is the key to contentment in this life.